0: The Holy Spirit is greater than man's idea. The Holy Ghost is greater than our own preconceived ideas.
1: Know that. Hey everyone, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast, your favorite show you've never heard of and the internet's best kept secret. I'm speaking to you in semi-hushed tones because it just happens to be nap time at the Harmon household. When, when you have uh, two kids and a third on the way, oh, that silence is oh so valuable and I dare not speak too loud to interrupt it. I am uh, broadcasting to you here from my bedroom, possibly for one of the last few times from Cleveland, Ohio because as many of you guys may or may not have heard by now we officially announced it on Facebook that Katie and I are moving to the northwest. We're actually moving back there because that's our that's our homeland. But uh, our, our long view vision is that we would be settling in the greater Seattle area to found and pioneer some sort of bliss community. And uh, more on that later. That's, that's something I'll probably dive into a lot more later in the year after all this moving hullabaloo is over. But uh, yeah, because of the move, I actually had to get rid of my desk And so I'm speaking to you guys right now, sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor with a microphone in my hand. It is uh, (laughs) a little awkward, but on the plus side, I do feel a little bit more spiritual uh, doing it this way. So that has got to count for something. Now, I've had a lot of really cool guests on my show but I am particularly amped about today's special guest. I actually got to um, sit down for a Zoom phone call with one of my all-time favorite authors and speakers, Dr. Brad Jerzak out of Canada. He is so gracious and humble, you guys. Uh, A a listener of this show, Uh, shout out to Nicole. I guess just texted him and asked him, uh, hey, would you be able to be on this guy's show? And I emailed him, and he agreed. And like, he's not asking for money or anything like that. He doesn't even know who I am, and yet he was so chill. He was uh, more than happy to take time out of his busy schedule to be on this show of all shows. So I'm really, really thankful for that. And um, in response, um, I wanted to take up a digital offering for Brad. So if you've been blessed by the work of Brad or if after you listen to this you feel the weight of the spirit like I sure did when I had this conversation with him, um, consider sowing into him financially, especially, you know, right now with uh COVID still being a lingering issue for people who make their living traveling and preaching the gospel, it's been um a bit rough. And so I just want to show him love. I want to bless him. If you're interested in giving to this digital offering to bless Brad, um, I want you to send the money to my PayPal because I don't want to give away his personal info here. But um, send me money to my PayPal. It's Cole Harmon C O L E H A R M O N at live l i v e dot com. Okay, so that's Cole Harmon at live. Dot com, And when you do, just leave a note and say, this is for Brad Jerzak. And I will make sure, I guess you're going to have to kind of trust me here. It's a bit of the honor system, but I will get that money to Brad as a thank you. Now, uh, really quickly here, we're going to jump into this interview with Brad where we talked about everything from the concept of an eternal hell to uh, evangelizing through the, through Leading people into visionary encounters with God. He told some amazing testimonies of blindness being healed and things like that that he's seen. And uh, we even talked about meeting saints in the cloud of witnesses. It's such a fun conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. There is just one more commercial that I got to share with you, and that is this I am the ringleader of a rock and roll glory band called Glowing Moses. And uh, we have been spending over a year working on an album. We are finally putting the finishing touches on it and we need a bit of financial help to get it done. We're almost done, but we got to pay for mixing and mastering and marketing and artwork and all of that extra stuff. And so we currently, as of the time of this episode, have an Indiegogo campaign live Uh As of right now, I just checked we're at 86% funded. We are almost there. And so if you want to help me out and uh, see this project, see the light of day, you can click the link in the description of this episode. It'll be Indiegogo. I would appreciate it so much. But anyway, now that all of that uh, financial stuff is out of the way, let's dive in. This is my interview with Dr. Brad Jerzak. Well, hey, everybody, thank you for joining us in the House of Bliss podcast. I have a tremendous, amazing special guest, Brad Jerzak, everybody.
0: Brad? Oh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh I was just waiting for the applause to end there. You know?
1: Oh, yeah. I was thinking about adding a <laughs> laugh track or something like that just to smooth <laughs> it over. Yep. <laughs> brad you have been a huge influence on this show already so it's it's probably it's funny um i've quoted you at at least a dozen times in the last year or so um from different books and different things you've done so it really is an honor and a a privilege to have you on here
0: Um, it's it's a good thing people can get therapy after that too (laughs) if they need it but um yeah (laughs) hopefully even live will be okay
1: I have to ask you, you're on a show that's getting, I don't want to exaggerate here, literally tens of listens. So how does it feel to be in the big time?
0: Well, having sold dozens of books, it's a bit of a downgrade, but not by much. (laughs)
1: Brad, what I like to do on my show um, is I like for people to get to see a different side of guests, um, especially if they're in the theology world. It can be, um, you know, at times a little stuffy. And so I thought I would just ask you a couple of fun questions if you're up for it. Sure. And
0: by the way, you know, I was a pastor for 20 years, half of which was with youth and the other half with disabled people. So... Hopefully, I won't be too stuffy for you.
1: <laughs> I but appreciate These will it. be fun questions. I can already tell. So what you're saying is you, you have all the latest slang terms down, and you'll be really hip and like relevant.
0: Yeah, I have the latest slang terms that were used in 1990. So, um, well, they're I'll making a, to remember a big what they comeback <laughs> <were>. <laughs> along with bell bottoms for the
1: third time. <laughs> so first of all, I wanted to ask you, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Pink Floyd. Nice. Okay. But are you like a Sid Barrett era guy or are you like, uh, a... um,
0: you know, I like in the great divorce, I went with Gilmore, but I love going back to Echoes live at at uh, Pompeii, yeah. Seventy one, I think that was. Oh my goodness, I probably play that every day. So that's amazing. I'm serious about it. Yeah.
1: Do you know? Uh, have you listened to metal at all? Yeah, some. That has like one of the best album openings I've ever heard.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I I have a range. Um, you know, I on my playlist, I may be listening to Comfortably Numb and then the very next song could be the white stripes and then followed by some monks from mount athos chanting so <laughs> you'll likely not hear a lot of country though so oh well
1: really okay so i'm i'm with you for the most part i just got recently introduced to um like what a lot of people call really good country so i'm learning to love a lot of the classic greats
0: but other than that it's it's not really my scene either yeah i can handle johnny cash if he's great you know what it's usually like when they're not being very country so so like if johnny cash is or or some of those guys put a bit of rock into it and dial down the twang but yeah i mostly i'm eclectic well speaking of johnny cash has a uh
1: a whole collection of, of uh, right near the end of his life, he, he did a whole se- series of albums where he was recording popular songs, popular rock songs.
0: Oh, yeah, Hurt songs. and all of that. Yeah. Yes, that video just Trent, wrecks Trent me. Reznor, yeah. Uh, oh, my goodness. We showed that video at our church on a giant screen. And, oh, uh, the Hurt video. Yeah, yeah, with oh, like, man. the music blaring. And we're talking about a drama theater stage where the screen covered the whole stage. And um, so partly people were crying because of the volume <laughs> and, and the rest because of the message. It was intense.
1: Well, as someone who's been in the church world my entire life, I can say that someone, no matter where it's at, will always be unhappy with the volume. So you just got to listen to your heart. That's right. <laughs> are you a movie guy at all?
0: Yeah, love movies. What's, what are some of your top films? Well, you know, I'm a bit stuck in 1982. So my favorite movies are like Blade Runner and the Blues Brothers. Um, I also loved The Fifth Element. And then there's this crazy Russian one, again, about a monk uh, called The Island that you can only watch on YouTube. But, uh, yeah, I, a good range. I, and and even, you know, on the comedy side, I I probably watched The Party and Three Amigos way too many times. <laughs> but, yeah, I love movies. Stories are incredible. They change us. Um I, I've had theological debates that lasted ten years and then I lost in ninety minutes by watching a good movie. So yeah. <laughs> it's so true, man.
1: I've I've had so many times where I feel like I'm I'm hearing God more clue, more clearly through a well told narrative in a movie in a movie theater than I am uh sometimes even in church or something like that. I yeah. uh I love Blade Runner is awesome. I love the work of Vangelis as a composer. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and also Blue's Brothers is in my top 10. So I cool. got to I got to give it to you for your movie taste there. So I love your books, but my favorite that I've read so far is Her Gates Are Never Shut. That book just it, when I read it, it was the right thing at the right time. And I couldn't put it down I just read it over and over um, and it honestly blew me away, man. I love how you mix solid technical information but you clearly write with your heart you write with your spirit and it it adds up to a recipe where i just i feel like my soul is just being set free from so many you know mindsets that have infected the church as far as like hell and things like that but what i was really struck by was when you talked about how you had an encounter with jesus where you were praying and it was like a visionary conversation Um, And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about some of that. Is is that a regular thing for you? Have you had um, encounters like that frequently with God?
0: Yeah, it's normal. And I think it's supposed to be normal for Christians. And so sometimes what happens is we think about uh, visionary experiences in really grandiose ways Mm -hmm. where it's like um, I didn't expect it and suddenly it's in front of me and I didn't cause it to come or to go. In fact, I barely participated. I just watched, you know. Well, I get that sometimes, but I believe that um, the visions described in the Bible are, are meant to be more like normal visual conversations with, with Christ as part of our prayer lives. So, for example, you know, uh, when I pray, I the Bible tells me, um, you know, over a thousand times to behold, and that means open the eyes of your heart on purpose. It's even a command. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, a throne and someone's sitting on it. It's a command. So... Um, And it's a command that someone like the Apostle John, for example, took very seriously in Revelation. So, uh, for example, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come in, sup with him, and he with me. Well, instead of John saying, hey, that's a good evangelism verse, or instead of thinking that behold meant, hey, pay attention, he actually literally responds to every phrase in the verse. So it's, "Behold, behold, so I looked. This is 4 verse 1 now. Mm. Behold, so I looked. I stand at the door and knock. I saw a door, and there was someone, st- and it's standing open. Um, if anyone hears my voice, so I heard a voice, and it sounded like the sound of many trumpets. If anyone hears my voice, um, I will come in. And then Jesus surprises him 4 1. He says to John, Hey, you come up here. And then instantly I was in the Spirit, and boom, behold, a throne. someone sitting on it. And so he's John is now telling us to enter his vision on purpose. So probably since about 1990, I, in prayer, I regularly obey that command. And so I come before the throne of grace. I behold the one who's on the throne. We have conversation. And then we discovered that you could apply this also uh, to stuff like um, to inner healing, for example, so or, or evangelism, so quite often I'll, I will say, "Look kid, I want to do a thought experiment with you. I call it that you mm-hmm. doubt if I call it praying, but i 'll just say, you know, um, if you could meet God anywhere at all for one on one, where would you meet him oh i 'd meet him on a beach, okay, where is he and boom they 're in a vision of Jesus on a beach and I say, what 's he saying? And they start listening, and so within a minute or two, we establish a visual and, and audio within their hearts because that's the place where we're meant to meet him. So um, sometimes people think that's, you know, this goes, this is an ancient practice. It goes back to David in Psalm 23. This is what he's doing. Meditating for him means in prayer, he goes to the green pastures by the quiet waters through the valley of the shadow of death, comes to the table, all of that. Um well, I know now that that's not just a game <laughs> because right. when we've done this with people, um, we've seen numerous physical healings, you know? So two people I know of uh, in this, doing this exercise were legally blind. And as they mm. behold the eyes, with <laughs> the eyes of their heart, the beholding Jesus face and the eyes of their body start healing. And eventually they were, well, one was instantly twenty twenty. And one was as she kept practicing was 2020. Um, we've seen people healed this way of, well, I've seen kneecaps grow this way. We didn't ask for it. That was the weird thing. We're just talking to Jesus as they're looking at him. I don't think even hardly once we asked him to do something. And it just, we probably, you know, it's not all the time, but probably 20 spontaneous healings. So I'm like, oh, I get it. This isn't a package that I can guarantee, but it's more than a game we're playing. This isn't just a mental exercise. We're having a real visit with a living connection with a living person. Oh, that is so good, man. That is really um, at the heart of
1: what I talk about a lot. On the show is this idea that um, you know Jesus said, "This is eternal life that you would know the Father," and all that that word "know" encapsulates. Yep. It's in and to think like if we're in Christ and He's in us and we're seated in heavenly places. I mean, it's sh- it's it should be easy, as easy as breathing, to access, to speak with, to behold. This God, I think, you know, so often we're just either scared out of it by something or, uh, you know, by some kind of like fear based mindset or or maybe we're just so distracted with we're just bombarded with media. But that inner sanctum, inner place of our minds just is so flooded with imagery and advertisements and stuff that it may take a little bit of time to calm down, to actually begin to see and feel in this way, but man, it's so good. He, he is
0: real. Just like you said. Yeah. And you still, I mean, you have to test and weigh everything because people get wacky, but you get it's wacky true. without it too. So like <laughs> test and yeah. weigh everything. You're not going to be safer with just your Bible and without the Holy Spirit, but also, you know, whatever you think the Holy Spirit's saying, you you pass it through the scriptures and the furnace of the Beatitudes is a remarkable discerning tool um, that uh, so I memorize the, the Beatitudes and I pray them every day. And what that does is it purifies what you're hearing. Mm. Because grandiose prophetic words won't get past, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed <laughs> are those who mourn, and blessed are those who, weak, meek, who are meek and humble, you know. And, um, um, but yeah, that, uh, I, I love that stuff and I, I practice it daily. That is amazing what you just said. Um, can,
1: can you maybe talk about that just a little more, the idea of passing through the furnace of the Beatitudes? Because for me, and we, we've talked about this a little bit over email, but um, I come from the uh, charismatic stream, which is uh, rich in prophetic experiences and things like that. But as of late, uh, especially around... Um, these last few election cycles here in the states, it's been um, really disturbing to see how many people are jumping on the nationalism bandwagon, and how many of them are experiencing prophetic things that sort of can, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it. They they're having these experiences that lead them in that direction. But what yeah. you're saying is so, yeah. Could you talk about that a little
0: more? Well, first of all, those experiences aren't prophetic. I mean, it's just, it's BS is what it is. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, not the testimony of nationalism, militarism, or your party politics. The moment we start prophesying about those topics, we're prophesying from the flesh or worse. It's always the testimony of Jesus, all right? And so it's not Jesus is testifying about who you should vote for. No. <laughs> the testimony is turn to Jesus and follow him and live the Jesus way as prescribed in the sermon on the mount. Pick up your cross and follow him and lay down your life for the other. So, here we work a lot with addicts and here's what we found out with addicts. The number one cause of relapse into addiction is resentment. But the number two cause is grandiosity. Um, people can Google that word. What is grandiosity, right? And it, it's being it's it's puffing oneself up or puffing the other up, just just whatever. And so, um, I would say if grandiosity is the number two cause of addiction relapse, it may be the number one cause of prophetic lies uh, false prophecy and so and it can be very it can be flesh to flesh kind of um, prophetic ministry so people come to me and they're all um, amped up they would think it's the anointing it's probably more like adrenaline and and from that place they'll come to me and say oh, uh, Brad, I, I just see the Lord. I, I, I have a word for you. It's, um, ask of me and I will give you the nations of your inher- as your inheritance. You'll be a leader of nations. It's like, dude, there's 10 houses on my cul-de-sac and half the people aren't even sure if I'm a Christian. What do you mean I'll lead nations? Plural? So am I going to be prime minister and president oh, or am I going to be like the Pope? Or what are you talking about here? You know, and, and, and I, I'm not even sure if I'm going to renew my passport, you know, like it. And, and so what are they doing? Um, They're flattering. They're trying to flatter my flesh using a scripture that's specifically about Jesus. It's Psalm two, a prophecy of Jesus. And so, um, So I, you know, I I appreciate that they want to encourage me, but it actually doesn't. So now here's what I do. I go, well, let's just test that. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That means who say no to the demands of the ego. Mm. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn about what? Well, mourn for their own sins. Mourn for the, the, the ways we're not Christ-like. Mourn for those who are victims of injustice. Mourn for children in cages on the border. Mourn, you know, uh, how, let's see, blessed are the meek. Um, meekness is power under control for the purpose of goodness. All right, show me the goodness. Let's test it. Where is the goodness happening? Uh, I'll do that. I'll go. I'll go be part of what God is blessing that way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness/slash justice. Same word in the Greek and in Hebrew and in Chinese and Czech and Thai. I, it's only separated in English. Um, blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those. Oh, are the pure in heart. Uh, They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons and daughters of God. Um, There's one for you. (laughs) So we got prophetic people um, who I I can use some names because they're very, very public about it. Um, Rick Joyner prophesying that there will be a civil war and that God will be on the side of the militia. And by the way, we need to go kill the Muslims. Well, he doesn't get to be called a child of God then. He, he, is, he is a child of God. He just can't claim that because the peacemakers are called children of God. And my friend Safi Kaskas, who's a Jesus-following Muslim, his entire life is given to peacemaking. Okay. So, so, so I have a prophetic word for him. Um, you'll be called <laughs> a child of God, brother. You know, like, So I'm a bit grumpy about this stuff because people are dying and killing for it. And sacrificing their children because you can't send your kids off to war unless you, you know, in good conscience, unless you sanctify it as an act of God. Well, who's doing that? I don't know. False prophets who don't test their words through the beatitudes. So I use it. There's a psalm. It says this: um, "The word of the Lord is pure, like like silver refined in the fire seven times." Mm. Well, I when I hear people who put profit on their on their ministry page or, or their business card. Um, I'm not hearing a lot of pure words from them, but when I go to churches with normal Christians listening to Jesus together, it is super pure. And when you pass it through the, the fire, the furnace of the beatitudes that burns away um, the grandiosity and the hatred and the, you know, all of that adrenaline based kind of stuff, what ends up happening is you get a really, beautiful, pure word. And there's no comparison. So I love humble Christians praying together and hearing God's voice in how to love one another, love their neighbor and love their enemy. Um, The rest is the rest. I don't, they've completely lost my ear except once in a while when I Go on a rant about it like I just did. So there you go.
1: (laughs) So I should probably crumple up this uh prophetic word about the nations I had for you. Yeah,
0: thanks. (laughs) Give it to Jesus. Prophesy to Jesus. Actually, we've done that a bit. That's pretty fun. Mm. Prophesying to Jesus. Your name is gonna be famous Mm. in the world.
1: (laughs) That sounds like it's really fun to do. it is yeah well so and this is kind of related to another question that i wanted to ask you but it's to me what i see as i've as i've been in this sort of world and movement enough is i i really really value the um Uh, the emphasis on experience with a living person and I wouldn't trade that for anything but I've noticed that so much of it is steeped in sort of an old-timey like modern American sort of like faux traditional mindset of the gospel and that foundation ultimately ends up building things that can't stand Um, and 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 it—it's almost there's a strange relationship I think between the experience and 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 the theology around it and and I'm curious for your work as somebody who also values experience yet who has such a rich um, and inclusive theology. How does the presence of God, the the prophetic? Um, you know, the Holy Spirit, how does all of that stuff feed into your theological work?
0: Well, we have this ancient Greek word, theosis. What theosis means is um, participation in the divine nature through which you are transformed into the image of Christ. And it's the spirit inside of us That does that transformation. And so in the West, we've talked about grace being um, unmerited favor. Well, that's a very shallow, thin view of grace. Uh, (laughs) Grace is the indwelling spirit. Grace is a name for a person in you who transfigures you, this is Second Corinthians 3, it literally uses the word transfigures you. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Yeah. Well, this, this is what Paul says, that anyone who turns to the Lord, um, a veil is removed. And as we, we all together behold him... We are being transfigured from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ. So the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to work on us from the inside out, transfiguring us until we are 100% Christlike. Well, that doesn't get done in this lifetime, uh, but I can purposely participate in that now through sur- daily surrender to. the the care of a loving God. So now I'm blending Eastern Orthodox theology of grace, which is the Holy Spirit's transfiguration and 12 step recovery, like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous, all these kind of 12 step recovery where it is, I surrender my life and my will to the care of a loving God. And so it's, it is, uh, Paul Young calls it engaged surrender. Mm. Well, what what had happened in the in the ref, Reformation is they got nervous about our participation. They thought that might be works, and so what they said is, no, it's it's grace alone, and um, you know God does this, and you don't do anything. It's like, hang on a second, <laughs> um, you you do participate. And James in 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 the Epistle of James, he calls it a s- synergism or synergy, a synergy of of God's grace, the spirit in you, and your participation through engaged surrender um, on a daily basis. So um, that's how I I primarily um, experience the spirit. And to me, it's not just magic. Engaged means actively beholding and listening and responding. So it's not like, well, I hope grace changes me again today. It's like, no, well, what is Jesus saying? Go do it. (laughs) That's what changes you. Um, What do I let go of today? Uh, What do I embrace today? What does he want me to know about my true identity today that will have an effect in how I treat others? And so when he says, now here's prophetic stuff. When, when When Jesus says, look at your... If you could just know that you're a child of God, and so is your Muslim brother. You share one father, even though you, you understand him so differently. But because you share one father, according to Ephesians 3 and to Paul, who's speaking in Athens in in Acts, um, then you're going to treat him like a brother. And so what what would that look like? And, and if you want to be called the child of God, you'll be a peacemaker. How will you do that today? And it's like, well, <laughs> um, and so, so then my grumpy side that that can love Safi but kind of hates Rick Joyner, I'm like, oh, geez, now I've got a, now I've got to look at how I feel about Rick Joyner. What's that about? Why, how can I call a Muslim, my brother, but not Rick Joyner? You know, and and so, oh, back to the drawing board. <laughs> and I'm I'm pleased to say it's a, that's a struggle, and it's one I'm working on. So.
1: Yeah, I love I love that definition of grace as um, I, and I've heard it put one time that it's it's not the unmerited favor of God, but it is it is the divine influence on the heart of a man. You know, it is, yeah, the, it is yeah. the
0: power to Very change. The, um, the 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 de- the early church fathers they called it the uncreated energies. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I wait a minute. It. If it's uncreated, it's God. And they're like, exactly, it's God. And, and it, but by energies, they mean it's it's. How did you put it? That was so good. It's the influence, this uh, the divine influence of God on the heart influence. of man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the uncreated energies. That's grace. And um, or or as uh, Gordon Fee, the great Pentecostal the, theologian, said, um, uh, God's. How did he say it? God's empowering spirit, right? Yeah. So, empowering to what? Well, to follow Jesus. So, well, and I think too, we are created
1: with a desire. You know, it says that Jesus is the desire of all nations. And I think people hear that and go, oh, well, uh, you know, what about all these people that don't believe in Jesus? And I think if people experience this religious um false jesus of course they don't want that you'll see all kinds of people who have no time for that but i've noticed as uh my you know friends and i have gone out to minister when really people have exactly the kinds of experiences that you're talking about where they're actually able to see for the first time how beautiful how wonderful how good and loving he really is and that they truly belong to him I have yet to see somebody actually reject that. It's just
0: the trick is presenting it to them. Do you know what I mean? I do. Um, One of the things I've been really enjoying too is, is not assuming that I'm going to be their first experience. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. So one of the things I'll do is I'll, I'll say, Hey, can you know, they're like, "Well, I'm not a Christian." It's like, "Okay," but I'm sure you're spiritual. And they're like, "Oh, yes, I do yoga." <laughs> yeah, yeah right. okay, there you go, you're spiritual. So, um, so then I'll say, "Could could I ask, could I ask God to show you a time, um, in your past wow. when you've already met Him, when you've already encountered this light?" Because First mm-hmm. John says, "Anyone who loves knows God." Wow. And, he, and the next ver, the next sentence is not. It, if or but (laughs) it it, it's like what it says is and if and if you don't love you don't know god so he's completely scattered the categories of christian non-christian yeah and so (laughs) one fun example of that is you know i i talked to this um woman this is a little while ago we ended up becoming friends and and i just i did this exercise with her i'm like so you seem spiritual. And she, she, she's like, I, I just, I don't like Christians and I hate church and I'm, I don't know about God. I'm like, well, look, can I ask him to show you a time when you met him? She goes, she's quiet for like, literally less than 30 seconds. No exaggeration. She opens her eyes and she goes, he showed me three. Number one, I was an epileptic. I got dragged to a Pentecostal church. They prayed in tongues over me and terrified me, and I left and never went back. I'm like, "Why was that an encounter?" <laughs> and she said, "Oh, I got healed of epilepsy." <laughs> <laughs> um, encounter two um, uh, she's about nineteen and and the the uh, the epilepsy comes back, and she's like, "Oh no." And so she goes on these meds for epilepsy, and then she finds out her and her boyfriend, are pre- she's got pregnant. And then they find out that the meds she's been on can, can cause your baby to be disabled from the womb. Mm. And so he's like, you've got you've to get an abortion. She's, so she's like, okay. So they schedule an abortion, and then she has a dream. And in the dream, this is what she said. This is a non-Christian, never been in a church. She said, I saw th- three three persons come to me, and they all had turbans. And But when they spoke, they spoke with one voice. Three in one, huh? Wow, yeah. <laughs> and they said, you must not do this. And then she woke up, and she knew they were talking about the abortion. So she canceled it. Wow, And then she had the baby turned out the baby was totally healthy here. The wow. medical system was pressuring her to have an abortion about what might happen. And her one, well, and her and her boyfriend bought in third time. R- shortly after that, a still small voice speaks to her. She called it a, like a whisper inside. And the whisper said, um, you're done with the meds. And so so, um, so she went off her epilepsy meds. Now, I don't ever recommend that. I, I hate it when people say God told me to go off my meds. It's usually a disaster because it wasn't God. But I wasn't there to tell her not to <laughs> at the time. Um, so she went off her meds. Okay, at the time she was 19. She's now 40, and she's ha- never had another seizure. Mm, so you. after that, I said, "Look at I, you know, she, she, she you know, God." And she's, yeah, she said, yeah, but you're, you're not one of these Jesus-only guys, are you? <laughs> and I said, well, let me put it this way. I think you can hear God and have met him because of Jesus. You didn't need to know him f- to benefit from what he's done for you. Um, and, and you could meet him, too. And so I showed her how to, I, I taught her how to meet Jesus in her heart. And I, she says, oh, he's giving me a healing rock, and it's beside a waterfall. I'm like, well, what's it for? And she said, when I'm sick, I'm supposed to go there and sit on it. And, um, and and he'll, and and he'll heal me. And like, you should do that. And she said, I already did. I'm like, you did? And she said, yeah, he, he healed my ulcer. I'm like, what? (laughs) Um, And then, well, I could go on, but like, she's one example where, where so instead of me saying hey if you will listen to me and i introduce you to jesus this will be wonderful which yeah. it is right yeah but 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 i got leverage by by acknowledging that the light could shine on her prior to even to her understanding jesus and in fact her negative experiences of christians made it important for her to encounter god anonymously at first so he could right. build trust and then find out later oh yeah that was jesus okay well then maybe he's okay <laughs> yes it, yes it's it's
1: <laughs> he's so good that sometimes i you know i love to minister and just not say the name jesus until later because it's almost it's so much better to just show and then once they go wait what is this because everything that i've ever encountered of Jesus was negative. It was hateful. It was, yeah. you know, they can sense the, the almost demonic nature of religion and they don't want it. But yeah. then when they taste and see that the Lord is good and they go, Oh, that's Jesus. If that's Jesus, then this is a totally different conversation. I'm interested. Let's, exactly. Let's talk.
0: That's what happened to Cornelius in Acts, right? So Cornelius was already, God tells Peter <laughs> that Cornelius is already, accepted by God, that he's a righteous man, that his prayers have been heard, and his alms giving, his compassion for the poor had been noticed. That's all before he knows Jesus. Yeah. Then he has these... So he's, he validates, God validates his, his faith practices, and then he gives them these spiritual experiences before he's a Christian, angelic visitations, words of knowledge, including addresses. And then... <laughs> And then and but it's not like god just says well good enough he says, okay now now i want him to know about jesus because and so he meets peter and and in meeting peter and hearing the gospel the spirit falls on him who'd already met but now the spirit what happens is the indwelling spirit now reveals to cornelius that he's not that he doesn't have to be a god fearer anymore he can be a god lover this mm. is this is not some abstracted god out there that he serves now he knows he's a child with an indwelling god who he can call abba so so there is a this big advantage to hearing the gospel but it but it's sort of like that's when that's when he was born again yeah but he'd been in the womb the whole time growing mhm it's not like <laughs> you mm-hmm. know so that's and i such think that's a good way to put it I think God in, God impregnates us at the cross, and now we're all we're waiting for, to be born. And then the the waters of baptism are like the breaking of water, the waters of a woman who's giving birth. Oh, that's so good! I don't know if you're familiar at all with the
1: work of uh, Francois Dutoit. Um, yeah, I know him. South Africa. Okay, I love um, right in the beginning of his. Uh, mirror translation he talks about the story of the the eagle do you have you heard that one before um well, I'll recount it for the people listening, yeah. but
0: this is, it's embarrassing because I know Francois personally and I have the message, but I, I mean, not the message. I knew Eugene too, but, um, but the, oh, the, sure. the mirror Bible, but I, I'm, I don't remember what you're talking about. So yeah, recount it. Please. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, basically he, he tells a story of uh,
1: this, this Eagle that was raised in captivity. Um, and when the time came to release it, they opened its cage expecting it to fly away, but it didn't know how to fly because it had, it didn't even know that it could fly. And they tried everything. They tried pushing it and waving at it, doing everything they could to get this bird to fly, but it wouldn't do it. And suddenly in the sky, one of the same exact types of birds flew by. And as soon as the bird saw the eagle flying, it suddenly uh, lifted off and, and took off. And so That's good. there was yeah. something, the idea is that it's all written in there. It's just that it, it's waiting for them to be able to behold Jesus for all of that stuff to be able to come alive as it's meant to be. You know, it's that fellowship that, that being able to behold him, to be, to become like him. And, um, I love that you're saying that because I think that I think those moments come all throughout our lives. Um, something I've been thinking about too, a little bit with having kids, you know, I have two small kids and, um, it seems like that message is kind of everywhere these days. Every Disney movie and uh, it seems like every cartoon and stuff is telling this, like, do you know who you are is the central question of all of these movies. And yeah. I, think, I think that there's measures of um, freedom in that, but it's, it's really you, you don't know fully who you are until you look at him and, as you said, are transfigured.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There it's, uh, his gaze, there's nothing like it. You know, uh, when I do this with people like, well, with anybody, but with, with, um, let's say someone who's never met Christ before. Um, and, and then I say like, I want you to look in his eyes and tell me, tell me what, what is it? What are his eyes saying to you? And they're like, um, and they may just they often just start weeping. He knows and he cares. I'm right there with them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. He knows see. and he cares. And I'm like, well, that's Jesus. How do you like him so far? I love him. <laughs> you love him? Well, he loves you too. How would you like it if he were your best friend forever? Mm-hmm. And they're like, Uh yes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, he is. <laughs> so um and it's funny you still have you still have folks that um you know it, it it's almost like it doesn't they don't pursue it and that's okay you know it's not that's on them i guess <laughs> so
1: well i like the quote from cs lewis where he says you know the problem is not that our desires for pleasure are too great but that they're they're too weak yeah you know, that's right We'll settle for our mud pies. You know. um, uh, I'm trying to recover from what you said because I can see Jesus right now. And it's
0: <laughs> uh, so overwhelming. Yeah. You see how like that was a good illustration of where you're, you didn't say, gee, I hope I randomly have a vision of him someday. It's mm-hmm. like the moment I said it, you purposely opened the eyes of your heart to look at him and there he was. And that it, you're not just picturing him, although it may start with that, but you're seeing him <laughs> and you're not painting a picture, you're beholding a person and... And so that this would be just the normal activity of Christian prayer is wonderful. It might even work. (laughs) Um, But we, you know, I'm afraid that the religious spirit will wants to replace that with anything, just anything. Yeah.
1: So part of really what draws me to your work so much, Brad, is that I've had, enough experiences with this beautiful Jesus that when I read certain books, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's like almost like just discerning of different flavors. Um, I notice that when I'm around certain cultures or ideas or reading certain books, it really feels wrong. It doesn't feel like the beautiful Jesus that I know. But when I read your work, when I when I read her gates are never shut, and other things like I sense the goodness of God so strongly in that, and I'm just curious uh, how how did you make the jump from go being in that religious background to believing what you believe now that God is actually so good that His arms are big enough to cover the entire world, every man, woman, and child. And what has that journey been like for you into this gospel of inclusion? How did you, how did you get led there?
0: Oh, you know, I'm old now. I'm about 57. So it took a long, long time, one step at a time. Um, I think based on where you're coming from, these, these are a couple of uh, highlights that would make sense to you. Sure. Um, So first of all, uh, within the context of, uh, of. I grew up in a beautiful Baptist family with you know where we loved prayer, we loved evangelism, we loved scripture, we loved Jesus. Um, but when I was eight, I was introduced to something scarier, by the revivalists who were preaching hellfire and Armageddon. Yeah. So for about ten years, I I followed Jesus um, after like as fire insurance <laughs> just so I wouldn't be left behind and go to hell. And then when I was in grade 12, a camp counselor asked me this. I was one of the counselors and she said, look at what, why are you a Christian? <laughs> and I'm like, well, so I don't go to hell. And she said, have you ever considered being a Christian because you love Jesus? And I'm like, what? And then it all came back to me about how I did until I was eight. And I had a living connection with it. You know, so that was that was a big deal, shifting from from fire insurance to loving a person. And then the next big deal, um, let's say from a charismatic experience, was when I was um with the Mennonites, I, I joined the Mennonites, my I married in my and I was a pastor okay. with the Mennonites. And um and but simultaneously I was having a lot of direct involvement with the vineyard movement and um and so so i began to learn to hear god's voice uh and and the first prophetic word i ever received from a vineyard prophet who was my wife's cousin um was he saw a plaque over me and it said confidence in christ and i could see it instantly in my own spirit and i have seen it ever since so, okay. So I love Jesus and, and I can have confidence in Christ. And the more confidence I put in him, the more I lean on it, the more powerful I feel it to be not long after that, as I was praying, um, you know, I, especially as an evangelist, I would preach the gospel, but I was preaching penal substitutionary atonement as the gospel and the father spoke to me. Um, and I, just heard, heard his voice inside as clear as day stop telling people I was punishing my son. That's not what was happening. Mm. And then I had to go back to the Bible and read it all over again and go back <laughs> to the gotcha verses. And the, you know, what, what do we call them? The clobber verses that we would use right. for, for, for God being punitive and retributive and Jesus having to save us from God. And from his own dad, because, you know, and which is just heresy. Um, and so the, that whole that whole thing, the retribute of God began to unravel for me. And that's when I ran into the Orthodox folks. And, and within Orthodoxy, they don't have a dogma around hell. And so there, this goes back to the early church fathers, where there is a stream within Orthodoxy that, that, just don't believe in eternal conscious torment that that they regard that as a heresy. Um, And, and, and that you, so that you can be very conservative Orthodox and completely believe that God is love only that he did not punish his son and he's not going to send anyone to hell forever that the only fire we experience is the fire of love that purges us of everything in us. That is not love. Mm. I'm like, what? I'm allowed to believe this. <laughs> and they're like, well, Gregory of Nisa, the father to the fathers and the flower of orthodoxy and the final editor of the Nicene Creed, he believed it and taught it full on. And I'm like, well, if he can, then I can, you know? So, so those were some of the big points for me, but it took a long time to get there that we follow Jesus, because we love him, that the father was not punishing his son. That's not what was happening. But God was in Christ reconciling him to himself and that he's pure love, perfect love, plus nothing. And so those are, that's kind of been, that's kind of been my path. That's so amazing. Um, You can hear I'm not going out on a liberal limb. I'm crawling down the trunk of the tree back to the historic roots of Christianity. And now when you see it that way, I go back to the scriptures and it's like, uh, I had found 32 scriptures affirming all of this. And then, and then a friend just wrote me and said, Oh no, I found 44, you know? And, and you're like, okay, so this isn't thin biblically. This is like, dominant in the New oh, Testament it's you know? it's screaming I honestly
1: I can't I don't know I I do know because I have a lot of talks about this with a lot of people but when I read Romans 518 where it says by the act of one man you know all were condemned but by the righteous act of one all were made righteous I just I just i feel an explosion of excitement in my spirit like that's yeah. that's the best news i've ever heard is that jesus is infinitely more powerful than adam ever was and his self uh self-emptying sacrifice was enough to rescue all of us it's just incredible
0: yeah i'm glad you brought that up we need we need people to to spend way more time in romans 5 you know it's while you were yeah. enemies while you were enemies while you were sinners while you were powerless you know he reconciled us didn't he, he forgave us and he reconciled us then <laughs> and then the the verse the verse you cited it's like, well, he also uses the phrase "How much more, how much more how much more right. three times yeah mm. so um, wh- however Adam screwed over the human race, how much more has Christ redeemed and reconciled it and it's weird um, I don't regard myself as universalist because that's a it's a trigger word um, sure. I do believe in ultimate redemption of all people, but um the people who hate that word are clearly universalists when it comes to Adam, you know, right. right. <laughs> they're, they're Adam universalists and, and I'm like, well, that's lame. So anyway, I, I, I love that you're, you're embedded in Romans five. Uh, absolutely.
1: I mean, I, like i said it's it's something that causes so much excitement for me i actually grew up in a home uh big credit to my dad who um he's a he was a nazarene pastor mm-hmm. and that tradition really holds a lot of space for people to have so he was reading guys like bart and uh, the torrance brothers and others and so he kind of introduced me to a lot of this but in my teen years i was really obsessed with a lot of the reformed theological stuff and i i hadn't really realized like and i know there's so many good amazing reformed people who love jesus and you know I'm not trying to discount that, but just how much damage that did to my spirit and my relationship, thinking of God as this, this, this puppet master who ultimately chose the vast majority of people to burn forever. That just did a lot of damage to my ability to be able to confidently approach God or even just not go nuts with grief, you know?
0: Yeah. And so
1: I really, um, we don't know each other very well, but I'm very much an all or nothing kind of person. Uh, And so for me to actually sincerely believe that the vast majority of my friends and family are going to burn forever. When I discovered that you didn't actually have to believe that, oh my gosh, the relief that (laughs) the it's like the relief and the rush of gratitude that
0: i experience built yeah. daily is incredible you know because of that i totally resonate you know a lot of people can believe in hell if they keep it at a cartoonish level right sure. yeah but you yeah. know that they don't really believe in it because they take holidays and they watch tv in the evening if you really <laughs> believed in it well, i know that would be blasphemous to do you know you should never you should never take a day off. You need to be out there with your neighbors every single day. Well, my, my dad's a bit like that, but at least he doesn't threaten them with it. You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. He's motivated. He's motivated to evangelize by, I suppose, by help. But, but he doesn't go to them and say, and I, but I just, I think if it's not cartoonish, it should drive you crazy. You know, right? And it was driving me crazy too. And I, I'm I'm totally with you. I, w- during my MA years, I was a full-on five-point Calvinist, and and thankfully, I I think to its great credit, they helped me bottom out. <laughs> it was so bad, <laughs> and it's like if I take this seriously, God is worse than the devil, and so. <laughs> But with that Nazarene background, you know, you've got to be careful. That's a gateway drug to orthodoxy, by the way. Cause, oh, sure. Because <laughs> Wesley, was, Wesley was reading the Eastern Fathers, and he was one of those guys who said, you know, that people could turn to the light and respond to the light and be saved prior even to hearing the gospel. So uh, I mean, Billy inclusivism. Graham said yeah. something similar, and I just, I don't know how it's so...
1: How it's so embedded in our culture. One of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is because so many of the people that I know um, are experiencing crises of faith. Because once you really kind of stop and think about how awful that proposition really is, it, it's al- it's almost like a, a. You get taught that anything else is some sort of deception so it's kind of this all or nothing thing and Mm -hmm. so you think well if i if i don't if this is what the gospel is then i don't believe that i guess that means
0: i can't follow jesus you know which makes you wonder like were they like (laughs) well um, sure yeah in in this sense that like had they not met him And I'm finding even a lot of charismatics don't seem to have met Jesus. Like they talk about it or they'll, let's say they'll have, they'll pray and they'll have a a vision of like, well, I, you know, I see a marshmallow bouncing on a, (laughs) on a, on a, a trampoline. And I think that means probably we should be happy or something, but, but I mean, to know Jesus the way you were talking about yeah, the eternal life of knowing him is, is an intimate friend, Um, that ends up clearing up a lot of this stuff. But if you haven't known him that way, then it's easier just to walk away. But maybe when they walk away, they'll run into him. So who knows? (laughs) I agree. So that's one of the biggest
1: things that – and I I was going to ask you a little bit about what kinds of problems has this – this theological path caused for you. Cause you mentioned that you came from a Baptist background and you also mentioned that um, maybe some of your family still believes this way. And so I'm curious a little bit about uh, some of the arguments and clashes that you might've experienced and how you handle that. But before I get to that, I just wanted to kind of point out that, um, you know, one of the biggest uh, criticisms that people have of hearing about ultimate reconciliation is to go, well, then what's the point of evangelism? Like, you know, if I don't, if, if, if everyone's just going to, if everything's just going to be fine and everyone's going to go to heaven, then why evangelize? And it's like, it's like, have you met him? Like, have you ever experienced those blazing eyes of love? If you had, that wouldn't even be a question it's it's impossible not to talk about him it's impossible not to give everything when you see him amen yeah (laughs) it's not about the some people i feel like just get so used to having the stick that they don't
0: even know what love is like without the stick you know right i wouldn't be a christian without the stick that's great then you've not met him you've just then you probably aren't a christian because eternal life is knowing him. So, I mean, that's a harsh thing to say, but, it, but I, I think it can be said as a wake-up call, and so, like rhetorically. So I would say, that, and then the flip side of that, do you not realize how badly people are suffering, that they are perishing yeah, right now. Right. This isn't about the afterlife. It's about Jesus came into this world because of the, the human condition was in a downward spiral that you can watch every night on the news. And so when you put together the urgency of the problem of people who experience alienation, that's hell. Now, here. And, and then you put it to, like, we know someone who can draw people from alienation into communi- communion. If you know him, why, why would you withhold that information? That is bizarre to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally on your page about that. So you want me to address the no. the haters? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, here's a weird thing. Okay, so first of all, I've never had any falling out with my parents or family over, over um, my journey at all because Beautiful. the entire thing was done inside of relationship and they that they had the maturity to hold difference. And I think the reason the way that you can do this with a, f- a lot less conflict is if you recognize that all of their worries are a concern about faithfulness and that you can you can address those concerns about faithfulness directly by reassuring them look at i am i am i i know we see things differently now but can you believe me and trust me that there's nothing more important in my whole world than jesus christ and that I am, I am more committed to a deeper study of the Scriptures than I ever have been in my life. And all of this has led me to share the gospel with even more boldness than I've ever had before, and that my prayer life, um, knowing that I'm a child of God who's dearly loved, is healthier than it's ever been. Okay, now I, I, what I've done there is I've just triggered all of the signals of faithfulness that, let's say, my Baptist family would care about. Oh, he still cares about Jesus as number one. He still believes in the Bible, prayer, and evangelism. And even though we see things differently, we we believe he intends to be faithful. But also, I believe they intend to be faithful. And so when both sides believe that, um, it takes most of the heat out of the problem. Now, That's having funny. said that, you know, I also have, uh, let's see about more than 30 years experience of pushback by people who don't know me so well. <laughs> and here's the shocking thing.
1: Well, I actually invited you on my podcast to trap you in your words. So I'm taking yeah, yeah. extensive notes for my, uh, heresy watcher blog.
0: Yeah. Thanks. I, <laughs> I just don't feel bad about that at all. <laughs> um, but here, so here's the crazy thing. Um, the thing i received the most aggressive hate for was teaching that god speaks today by far mm-hmm. um and and it's because i whatever you know whatever the demonic is whatever that is um right, right. it's like it probably doesn't care a whole lot about hell <laughs> or uh, um in in the sense of a dro- a doctrine it's like Believe in hell or don't believe in hell, whatever. But when you introduce the voice of God and sponsor living connections with Jesus Christ, that now that's a threat. So here's what happened: in uh, I wrote a book called "Can You Hear Me?" It was my first book on how to listen to the voice of God. in In um, I think it came out in two thousand three. I'd been teaching it for three or four years, and and oh my goodness, I had I I had threats of violence. I had people create websites attacking me, and then they would call ahead or send emails to every gig I was going on. I had itinerant ministry in addition to the pastoral stuff. So they would send letters to the boards of every place I was invited ahead of time. And they would say, you've invited a false teacher and you're going to there. He's going to split your church and lead your people. in what you should have done your research. Here's a link to a website about it that they, by the way, had created. So I, I and I got tons of cancellations because people got scared. So I had to just take my schedule off the internet. That was just for teaching that God speaks today and doing so, so carefully from the Bible. So that led me to a couple conclusions. conclusions. Um, one is, being careful wasn't helping me. <laughs> um, and, and then two, then, then I may as well just say what I believe. And so, um, I did get backlash for, for I, I was, when I started teaching that penal substitution isn't the gospel. Um, I was called an enemy of the cross when that's my whole focus, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. and that really was hurtful, but, it, it wasn't as intense as the hearing God stuff. And then when I got to the hell stuff, it's like the the people, the heresy hunters already had me labeled. And, and, and so I guess there was just a market for people who needed an alternative to eternal conscious torment. So I have had not nearly as much backlash for that as something as simple as my sheep hear my voice. I mean, that's the true threat I think because once you start hearing your voice, Dominoes start following, falling, falling um, on these other weird belief systems.
1: That, and that's that's another interesting thing like um, that's brought a lot of uh, I don't know criticism into my world as well just believing that God is a living person that can be spoken to and understood and even does miracles and things like that um, but if you look at like someone like I don't know John MacArthur or something like that who's really convinced that anybody who believes such is uh doomed to hell like how
0: do you how do you address because i know you really well, it, was valued... his, it was his disciples his disciples <laughs> were the most aggressive ones with me yeah um, yeah yeah i i don't address it anymore i you know here's how i do it work it psychologically um Cause I could just be responding to haters all day long and that's sure, a waste sure. of time. Yeah. And I could be doing rebuttals. Well, I, you know, I do, I do rebut some of these things, but probably um, so, so I start this way. Um, I feel less of a burden to debate them for two reasons. One is because the people in this world who I most respect and want to be like um, love me and they say I'm on the right track. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if Eugene Peterson loves me, who the heck are you, you know, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or or Brian Zond or, or, um, you know, some of these really, these really beautiful people. And I'm like, I, I want to be like that. And yeah. so I'm going to keep doing and teaching the things that lead me down that path, because I can see that that if i could be like them that would be good for me paul young you know the the shack guy it's like he has haters but he also sold 25 million copies he's the (laughs) most effective um trinitarian in the world and i'm like he loves me dearly and and um he in fact he loves me enough to tell me when he thinks i'm off base Mm. and i'll listen to him (laughs) and i will repent and so so, so it's, you know, if you have my particular temperament is like, if you have a half a dozen people that you look up to who love you and hold you to account, then 10,000 haters is just a buzzing mosquito kind of sure. annoyance. Yeah. Right? And then the other, the other thing is that, okay, if I want to refute them, the way to do that is to show something more beautiful. It's not just to have waste my time making counterpoints forever. Yeah, and, and so they motivate me to say, to say it better. And in that way they're, they're, I really value the opponents, because they've made me sharpen the way I've, I speak about these things. They've made me go back to the scriptures that are harder and, and to bring a response. And, and so they, they do for me what my friends can't do. And that specifically, this is about like turning the other cheek (laughs) is like when, when your enemy slaps you, um, you can harness your external enemy as a, 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 as a collaborator in dealing with your inner enemy, which is your ego. Mm, mm -hmm. So when they humble me, that's good. (laughs) um when even when they expose my grumpy days i'm like geez i'm still a grumpy guy well (laughs) paul young's never going to be able to show me that but macarthur's yahoo's can. so thank you um (laughs) i and i pray for them some of them by name and i pray um lord give show them the same mercy you've shown me and i can pray that sincerely yeah yeah definitely i'm reminded a little bit of uh the
1: Graham cook has a story about how these guys were aggressively going to every single one of his
0: meetings and heckling him. And I know uh, this story. He, yeah. I, yeah.
1: He, he started buying him donuts and stuff.
0: Yeah. That really <laughs> helped me. That story really helped. Yeah. Me. That's so good. <laughs> Cause the angels are cheering. He's the angels are getting him to cheer on these people. <laughs> because they're sculpting him, so that so so opposition is part of our theosis. It's part of how we're transfigured by grace, mm. and that's why we bless, we truly bless our enemies, even though it doesn't feel good. But wait a minute, what doesn't feel good? My ego being disciplined. So <laughs> right, okay. Right, right. <laughs> um, I want to say bring it on, but I'm not that mature yet. Well, Brad, it sounds like you have a very, very, very,
1: very long way to go to theosis, but I'm glad that you're making improvements. So, <laughs> 300 years should do it. <laughs> okay. 300, nice. You are you you identify as orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, right? Yep yeah so what is that like uh what does that look like for you in your daily life i because i i'm familiar with a lot of their beliefs i've gotten into a lot of the uh fathers reading some of their stuff and um but i don't really know what their daily practice is like how how has that changed life for you
0: so there's a couple things about it that really helped me um one is that they have this simple prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, that they pray continually until their heart can pray it. Mm-hmm. And I love, that it, I love that they use the word sinner because it's such a trigger word for people around identity. I'm not a sinner. It's like, well, you better be because that's who Jesus came for. <laughs> but it's not my identity. I know I'm a child of God. Sinner is my daily predicament. It's my existential struggle with um um and so knowing deeply my identity as a child of god then i come to him and I, and i say i'm going to need fresh mercy again today aren't i like absolutely, and it is fresh mercy every single day. So, how that? So, one of my practices is to pray that, and and when you pray for mercy, you're not saying mercy isn't withholding punishment. Mercy is all the ways that God's goodness shows up in your life as an infinite waterfall. So, every time I pray, Lord have mercy, I'm getting under the waterfall of His goodness. Mm-hmm. And then if I pray for you, I can say, Lord have have mercy on coal. And, and in my mind, I grab you and I pull you (laughs) under the waterfall and I just let it douse you with, and in every single way, it can be health, healing, safe travels, success in your work, um, Uh, purity of heart growth in your character. And all I have to do to pray for you that way is say, Lord have mercy. And then I'm not dictating the outcome. So it's, it's quite, it's transformed my prayer life in that way. And we also pray the scriptures a lot. So we pray the Psalms. And when we pray the Psalms, what happens is some of those Psalms are like pretty angry. And what it does is it accesses your anger, even especially if you're in denial of it, because you're trying to be such a nice Christian (laughs) and suddenly you're like wait a minute i'm praying i'm praying curses on people that's not right it's like well then why did the holy spirit put it in the bible to expose malice in my heart so he could surface it and get it out mm. and so he, it's not that he answers my prayers to curse my enemies by cursing my enemies he answers my prayer to curse my enemies by delivering me from the impulse to curse my enemies.
1: Wow. So
0: it's about an honest confession. And then so confession comes in too. So confession in the Orthodox Church is this. Um, my confessor would say, Brad, what's troubling you? He's not saying, what sins have you committed? Mm-hmm. That's not an issue. Although I'll bring them up, but he knows the issue is that I'm troubled, that there's that anxiety in me that comes from my conscience accusing me, and so in confession, I tell him what's troubling me, and then he addresses my conscience with the gospel. and And I'll say, okay, it's troubling me that I re- I'm really um, being mean to my wife, and and then he would say, well, of course, everyone goes through that, um, but the important thing to remember is that that. You shouldn't go run and hide like Adam and Eve behind a fig leaf of denial. You you come here and you you tell me and you tell the Lord, so that you can hear Him say, "Oh, I've already dealt with that and forgiven it at the cross." Hmm. And now, um, now if you do need to go apologize to your wife, go for it. <laughs> um, so so it's it's about your conscience being washed by the gospel wherever it's troubled. And so so let's see what do we got there so I pray the Jesus prayer lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me I pray the psalms I've got um I have a combination then of some orthodox memorized prayers that are just so rich and full and victorious Yeah and then I've still got my listening kind of beholding gazing prayer that I picked up when I was younger um, but so this is my advice to you and to others who are interested. I, I had been studying the, the father's theology for 10 years. And then I ran into this amazing priest, father Michael. And he said, yeah, the fathers are good and theology is good, but you won't get this, the texture of orthodoxy. until you until you start praying their prayers. So if people go online, you can see some of their prayers, um, called uh the octo echoes and the octo echoes octo is eight and so so it's like the octo echoes are a um um it's a it's a rotation rotation of tones that that you might chant these prayers in and so chanting the prayers also reminds you that they're poetic so it it loosens up our literalism a little bit yeah but um Um, uh, and, and so this is going to be really unusual for your listeners. Um, but I want to chant. Oh, uh, this is great. Like a few lines. Oh, heavens be glad sound trumpets. Oh, foundations of the earth sing in gladness mountains. Behold, Emmanuel has nailed our sins to the cross, granting life. He has slain death. He has resurrected Adam as the lover of mankind so even on those so you just start praying that like that way every day through the octo echoes for a year and 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 it, there is a radical universalism in it. He has slain death. Oof. He has resurrected Adam and he's a lover of mankind. <sighs> that's so like good. that's Talk about the finished work of Christ, then yeah, that he destroy so over and over the octo echoes talk about how he's destroyed death, how he enters hades, how he how he lifts up Adam and Eve, which represents humanity with himself, he pulls us out of Hades as, as um not just in the afterlife but now and and the whole world rejoices because we discover God is a lover, well so. You'll find that here and there in the, in the Fathers, but you find it every single day in the Octo Echoes. And, and I think the priest was tricking me into believing in ultimate redemption. Because he knew <laughs> if I prayed these things every day for a year, there's, there's just no way you can believe that God is punitive or um, that, he would send, that, that that he would fail to rescue even one person.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I have actually, um, I think maybe Brian Johnson or somebody like that said that uh, people will sing things that they would never agree to if they saw it written on a page.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when all the haters were saying, telling me that you shouldn't behold the Lord because that's new age. (laughs) That's new age. What are they singing? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Right. (laughs) That song um, gets me every time. (laughs) It's like the best ever. Right. And it's like, do you, so it was weird because people would sing this with their whole hearts. Then I would just teach the very same things and give them Bible verses. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, it's the same as this now. And so what happens is it gets in your heart and, um, and uh, now the, the thing to beware of a little bit is for evangelicals or charismatics who, who go and look up the octoechos. You can look it up online. Just go Octo Echoes um, PDF or something like that, and you'll get them. But you're also going to have prayers to the, the Theotokos, which is the mother of God. And we call Mary the mother of God, not because she's the mother of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but as an affirmation of, it's a Christological statement that who is in her womb is the one who came from her womb, God. So they would call her the Theotokos to reaffirm the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, again, you're going to, so you're going to have these songs to her, The, the one great Protestant song, to Mary is Mary. Did you know? And so the, Theot- the Theotokos is. So we, but it's not just Mary. She represents the heavenly bride and the, the our heavenly mother, the Church. What? And yeah. So, so we'll say, "Let us praise the Virgin Mary, the gate of heaven." Mm. Why is she the gate of heaven? Well, it's because God came through her into this world through her body picking up her humanity and she's so i mean it's just really responding to the what the angel says to her about um you know the whole world's going to call you blessed well protestants got pretty nervous about that but i'm not anymore because <laughs> i you know i've i've met her too you know? <laughs> yes i needed something really juicy for
1: my heresy site and i have yep. it thank you yep.
0: That's right. So, just so, so many we have come, we have come to Mount Zion. Oh yes, where the city of the firstborn, where the spirits of the righteous men and women have been made perfect. So, when I pray, I come to the throne of grace, and who is there? Well, Mary's there, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are there because we worship the God of the living, not of the dead. And I, just as I can ask my wife to pray for me, I can ask Mary to pray for me. No problem. Um, So that's, that's orthodoxy. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but you don't have, you don't have to worry about that. We make it about Jesus. We make (laughs) it about Jesus. Right. But I just thought I'd warn people if they start, if they look up the octo echoes of like, what are these prayers to Mary? Well, they're not, you're not praying to her. You're asking her to pray for you and uh, she's well able to do that.
1: Yes, like the example you brought up, the song Mary, did you know nobody listens yep. to that song and go wow, Mary was so great they go wow, the wonder of God, you know. It's actually it's it's a way of praising God. It's exactly um, that.
0: Yeah. Um amazing. yeah, it's Mark, Mark Lowry is is the guy by the way. He's a oh, right. man. He is fantastic and he is eating this stuff up too. That's so good. I've
1: noticed that I've I've seen him hanging around a bunch of uh people in sort of your circles. That's
0: pretty awesome. Yeah. And even back in the day, you know, Gloria Gaither, he was working with the Gaithers. She was very subversive. And uh, so a bit of a troublemaker in a good way. And people <laughs> people are singing along, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, she was amazing. going after rapture theology big time already in the 70s. And so um, nice people, really nice people.
1: That's amazing. I'm gonna have to revisit their catalog then.